This is The Guardian. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax. With their 20-plus sports activities, wellness programs, you can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. Just give Arsenal the title now. Another tricky test overcome, this time at Brighton. Martin Odegaard with the pass of the season, or at least the best pass since the World Cup. Saka's flying and Ketia's filling the Jesus void perfectly. And most of the sides behind them drop points. Man City held at home by Everton in a result that literally no one saw coming. Probably not even the Everton players. Erling Braut Haaland got angry. Is he human after all? Or maybe a sentient robot learning real-life emotions? Or perhaps Ben Godfrey is his kryptonite. Newcastle are held by Leeds and Spurs are abject at home to Villa while Chelsea are held at Forest. Arise, Sejourier. Marcus Rashford sleeps in and misses a meeting. One of the biggest footballing crimes. Should he ever play again? And let's hear it for Vout Fass, bringing 2022 to an end in spectacular style at Anfield. Elsewhere, is Cristiano Ronaldo worth £5 a second? Will he suit Al Nasser's pressing game? There's Scott Parker to Club Bruges and a vitally important correction about comedians hitting fruit. All that plus your questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. on the panel today. Barry Glendenning, welcome. Hi, Max. Hello, Philippe Claire. Hello, and Happy New Year to you, Max, and to everybody else. Yeah, Happy New Year. And a friend of the pod, Autumn Florex, says, is there anything more soothing than the smooth, silvery tones of Nader Manuha coolly dissecting a game <laughs> and sharing his insights as a former player? Excuse me while I take advantage of the special Sunday night pod to start a hot bath, pour a glass of wine, and enjoy this part. No pressure, Nadem, but... That feels so personal. Yeah. It feels so personal. Now I've got that in my mind. I don't think I'm comfortable anymore. I've got to be honest. Well, I remember I remember an old local radio, a man saying, just imagine there's one listener, which was ironic at the radio station because there probably was about <laughs> just one listener. But you're, you're just talking to one person. For this whole pod, Nadem, you're just talking okay. to that person okay. lying okay. in the bath. Uh, let's okay. start then at the Amex, uh, Brighton 2, Arsenal 4. Sean says, having already established that we need to take Arsenal seriously do we now need to take them really very seriously or is it too soon for that if they're still top in February will we run out of levels of seriousness to escalate to um Barry I mean a lot of the coverage pre-match was how difficult Brighton would be for Arsenal and then Arsenal scored after a minute and barring that little wobble at the end overcame another hurdle yeah I thought Brighton might win this game I must confess uh, beforehand they obviously got off to a terrible start but uh it was a really good performance from Arsenal against a good side. And I wouldn't say Arsenal were comfortable throughout. They they went 4-1 up, then it was pulled back to, to 4-2. Mistake by William Saliba, who hasn't played particularly well in their, since the World Cup ended. And um, then when Matoma had the goal ruled out for offside, if, if you know, it's an offside, I get it. It it seems harsh. That isn't why the offside rule was introduced to to rule out goals like that. But if that had gone in, it would have made for a fascinating final ten minutes. And I'd say Gooners were were extremely relieved when it was disallowed. There was a, a conspicuous drop off from Arsenal in in the closing stages of the game when they made changes, and that maybe is indicative of uh, a lack of strength and depth. But it was a game I, I thought they would have more difficulty with, if I'm honest, and uh, another good win for them. Some great performances. 
thought Martin Odegaard was, was brilliant. Yeah, it's another, another box ticked. It is. Nadim, that pass from Odegaard is sensational, isn't it, for Martinelli's goal? Yeah, he's, he's absolutely he's special. The fact that he saw the pass was going to be on and then the execution. And it's just, I felt I felt bad for um, for Lamptey because Martinelli knew the pass was coming, so he had a little start on him. And like Lamptey, normally, if you get the chance to watch it again, he's normally got really good like running style. But because Martinelli was ahead of him, you get to the point where you look like you're kind of swimming. Your neck just <laughs> extends a little bit further. You know, you start reaching with your arms, like trying to claw back at somebody. And it's tough, but it was a, it was an incredible ball. And I think that, to me, shows that there's a level of understanding between those players, which, you know, we take for granted a little bit. Because I think usually you see that with teams like Liverpool, where, say, when Henderson spins a ball down the channel to Salah or something like that. But the timing has to be there. The understanding has to be there. And it was like they felt a bit of pressure and then, bang, ball through. Somebody scores, game's done again. And I think that, that's very much how Arsenal are this season. Every time it feels like they're being tested, they seem to just come through with, with flying colours. And yeah, this game, I don't know. Were we, are we all naive to think that Brighton would be the team that would stop Arsenal from being on this run that they're on at the moment? Because we think Brighton are a good side, but then Arsenal are great. 14 wins out of 16. I think that's the thing for me, because for as good as, say, like Newcastle have been in third at this moment in time, they've only lost one game, but they've drawn six. But for Arsenal at the moment, I'm thinking a blip for them means that maybe they draw a couple of games. Because right now, they're just being everyone in front of them. They can definitely win the title, Philippe. I don't know what point they become favourites. Are you starting to believe as a gooner? Uh, um, I I have to say um, that my first column of the year uh, for, not a competitor, but for for Eurosport in France was why this could be Arsenal's year. Okay. So there you go. So the confidence was always there. But I was almost uh, tempted to, to reply, could you just carry on? pouring this honey in my ears. Philippe <laughs> <laughs> has just got in the bath, interestingly. <laughs> okay. No, um, I, 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 I do think so. I was, I, you know, I always try to, to check myself a little bit when it comes to that. But when I was trying to remember perhaps a situation when Arsenal had been in a similar situation, and I was thinking of 2007-8, um, when that team was also ahead of the pack, and then they had this complete meltdown at Birmingham in March. Do you remember when Eduardo had his leg broken, which exposed a certain frailty within within the squad and also how light it was. But in fact, I think compare the numbers, they're way ahead of where they were actually in 2007-8. I mean, I cannot see uh, why, I mean, apart from perhaps um, the fact that they they would be susceptible to a, a, a drop in, in quality if there were more injuries, but we shouldn't forget that they have had injuries before. And we shouldn't forget as well that when Gabriel Jesus was, uh, you know, where we were told that he would be out for a long time, people say, well, that's the end of it. Well, not quite. Um, they will also apparently uh, re- get reinforcements in January. So, yes, there is the fact that uh, that month, coming month, has got some pretty juicy um, encounters. I mean... Manchester City is a big one, obviously. Manchester United. Spurs, I'm not too sure, uh, given how... It's quite, uh, an easy, quite an easy one, that one. Well, at the moment, yes. And uh, uh, But there is absolutely no reason why people shouldn't believe it. I mean, to be honest, uh, the fans believe it. And it's fairly obvious that the players and the manager believe it too. I don't, I don't see why they would think that they can't win it. I think they'll try and downplay it, obviously, because of what Man City have done in the past. But as it stands from City, they might go on the run, but the run hasn't started yet. And whilst that's not the case, Arsenal are making the points up. And I think if we can, in some ways, we can maybe overreact to the way that the game finished yesterday against Brighton. But what I would say is that for any away game, are you expecting the opposition to just roll over once the lead is there? You know, that sort of black, this sort of caution goes goes out. Oh, I forget what the phrase is. But yeah, like for Brighton, they went for it more. They're not going to keep their fans in the stadium, just watch them move the ball side to side and let the clock expire. They're going to go for it. And in doing so, they've forced a few more errors from Arsenal. But the fact is the game was more or less done. Obviously, if the Matoma goal would have been allowed, then maybe it's a 4-3 in a different sort of situation. But I wouldn't have been surprised if Arsenal managed to manage that situation as well because you look around their team and for as much as they've got youth in certain areas, they've got significant experience in others. And that midfield three of Partey, Shaka, and Odegaard, like, that's a really good midfield three, especially when you've got like the likes of Martinelli on one side, Saka on the other, and Ketty doing a good job as well. So I don't, I don't think there's any reason for them to worry. I'm speaking from experience, like... If you win in most weeks or every week, you don't have a feeling where you start to believe that you'll start losing. That experience of winning most games wasn't at QPR, was it? 
It was a QPR for the first <laughs> 10 games right, of the okay. championship season in 2014. <laughs> so I'll have you know okay. that I've done, I've done it. I've done it before. <laughs> My All apologies. I've lived it, Max. I've lived it. There, there you is, go. Barry, there is a, um, <laughs> there's a, there's an interesting balance then with January, right? And what you do, do you speculate more because you're in this wonderful position? You don't want to upset the balance of the side. We've sort of touched on it before, but it's interesting if Mudrick comes in, he's a wonderful player. You know, you need depth, but it's it's very difficult because this team is playing so well. Yeah, I mean, I suppose the sensible thing to do is have targets identified that you want, try to get them. And if you can't get them, or if you can get them, uh, great. Uh, they've clearly identified Mudrick as a, a target. It's difficult to imagine he wouldn't enhance their squad, uh, going on the evidence of his performances for Shakhtar in the Premier League this season or the Champions League this season. But I would be very wary of buying players just for the sake of getting bodies in, unless you have done your due diligence and figured out whether or not they will be an asset to the squad. I think we've seen in the past with Newcastle years ago, they brought in Faustino Espria, who's a great player. No one's denying that, but he really upset the the equilibrium of the squad. Um, so, yeah, one, one Arsenal do seem to have a pretty shrewd recruitment policy and um, bar the odd misstep and, and one presumes they will be careful in January. The other thing as well is that Arsenal will be taking the Europa League extremely seriously. <laughs> there will be a lot of games to play uh, in the spring. And so there's every reason to... They, they cannot carry on, I mean, with a single striker as they have at the moment. You know, Gabriel Jesus sure. is out until March at, at the earliest. Uh, and when they will be looking at as well, they absolutely need cover in midfield because beyond Partey and, and Chaka, the level drops quite... I mean, quite significantly, without being rude to El Neni and other players, or some Bilokonga players like that. Feels you were rude to El Neni. Uh, was I? I, I apologise to to Mo, who has been a great servant to the club. <laughs> he has. Uh, just finally, nice uh, time to find out, Barry, that Billy Gilmore had signed for Brighton uh, in this game, wasn't it? Yeah, that was news to me, and I thought um, it was one of those me being an idiot things. But it turns out yesterday was his first Premier League start for them since signing in September, but. Yeah, that that was a bit of a Sergio Ramos went to PSG <laughs> yeah, moment for me. Uh, let's go to the Etihad. So Man City won, Everton won. Jeff says City now seven points behind the league leaders. Is Haaland the problem? Perhaps a chance for Wilson to cut and paste his Ronaldo article. Chris says, has Haaland made City weaker? Asking for a friend. I mean, he's got 18 in 12, 21 in the Premier League. Um, and Man City only have two fewer points than they did after 16 games last season it's just that Arsenal have had this ridiculous start um that said Nadem if you want to win the league you can't drop points home to Everton can you no it's illegal isn't it you're not allowed to do that how dare you yeah no it was uh in watching that game yesterday once City took the lead you kind of thought well that's it all said and done but you just got to show this is again this is why we this is why I watch football because anything's possible I think Everton had two shots in the game and scored one of them it's a great finish by Gray and from that point and to be fair, this will be linked to the Haaland thing. Like the back three they had, I thought they played really well. I thought the midfielders played well. And I think this weekend, what highlighted to me are that the teams, especially the ones at the top, top sometimes really struggle with people who are like good ball carriers. Because I thought Gray was moving well. I thought Iwobi was moving well. And when it's this is happening on the break, it just keeps the other side honest because you can never overcommit because there's a good chance you won't be able to catch them. And yeah, it's a it's a bad result for City overall. Obviously, in the end, you'll take the point and look at the end of it and see that everyone else is kind of drawn as well, barring Man United uh, below uh, behind them. But yeah, City, they, I think they've beaten Everton nine times in a row or something like that. So you expect it to be the same again. But I think a big thing for Everton this weekend was the fact that Conor Cody came back in. And in Cody, Tarkovsky and Godfrey, they didn't keep Haaland quite as such. We could see, especially in the first half, that they were affecting his thinking. And then whatever happened, whatever, how many players they committed or City committed forward, that three was always there. And I think City ended up having maybe nearly 20 shots, but only three on target. And a lot of those were down to blocks, putting the bodies on the line, being in there. And you need to ride your look as well to be able to get a result in places like the Etihad. Yeah, actually, I mean, you say they put their bodies on the line. Injury time, Philippe, was sort of absolute classic backs to the wall, just getting deep. By the end, I think all their players were behind the goal line. Like They were <laughs> so deep. But it was so brilliant to watch. And you were just thinking, all oh, this really needs is like a random counter-attack and Everton to win. I really, I thought they really did, as you say, 
they didn't deserve one on XG. It was like 2.4 versus 0.09. But I felt they did deserve to get something because of how hard they battled. And, and uh, do you think in terms of level of shithousery, was it, was it good enough for you as well, Max, in terms of... T- oh, it was good. <laughs> I mean, it's fascinating to see Haaland show any emotion, wasn't it? Well, that, that, I was going to ask the question, do you have any recollection of Haaland ever having such an attitude on the pitch? Looking, um, I mean, at some point it looked as if there had been electrodes put all over his body and somebody that pulled the switch on. And he was literally, I mean, shaking every single muscle, and he's got plenty of them, uh, was was in kind of spasm. Um, It's because of Godfrey, right? Obviously. But there must be other reasons because the the goal he scored, by the way, was absolutely magnificent. I mean, incredibly difficult to score that. It, the ball was actually mm-hmm. behind him, and the way he directed it was absolutely fantastic. But I've never seen him for Borussia Dortmund or the Norway national team, or obviously for Manchester City, in, in such a state of, uh, I don't know, he looked deranged at time. Did you say he looked human? I'm not sure he looked human. Yeah. He looked really frightening. To, to be honest as well, after he got the yellow card in the first half, I was thinking I wouldn't be surprised if he got taken off at halftime because mm-hmm. I thought somebody needed to speak to him because he's trying to... This is this is when you can see that he's young. You know, it's at times like this where he's young and he's sort of misunderstanding the game itself. But interestingly, I think, and I've been there myself with all this sort of like ridiculous outrage, he probably thought Ben Godfrey tried to do him on that tackle. But Godfrey's kind of trodden his foot by accident. Mm. But Haaland hasn't seen the replay. So he thinks, oh, somebody's out to try and get me, leave a mark on me first minute of the game. So he's like, he's like swinging at ghosts. Like Godfrey didn't do anything. Godfrey's just a good player. He's quite, I think Godfrey's quite chilled out as well. Yeah. But Harlan started trying to take it to him. I was like, this is all very, very weird. Erling, you need to see a replay. It's not that bad. I'm sure it hurt, but it's not that bad. But in the end, he calmed down a bit. I had a couple of chances second half. But like you say, you, you say Everton deserves something from it. I can't, City fans will tell me that, you know, that's not the case. But at the end of the day, this is football. You work hard and maybe you'll receive something. Ben Godfrey did seem quite bemused by uh... <laughs> Yeah, that's what I mean. Because he's like, what's happened here? Because yeah. he tried to go for a head. He probably didn't even know that he stood in his like, Achilles or whatever. So, yeah, just, perhaps just go all, with it, Perhaps it is Godfrey. Is, it's all Godfrey's are the kryptonite to Erling Brat Haaland. So Ben Godfrey <laughs> or Godfrey from Dad's he, he, Army. He did score, yeah. though. He did score, though. I can, I can hear it's that true. little bit of feedback in the background of people typing saying he did score. He did score. Yes, he did score. So, yeah. And we should Let's mention, the other side. I mean, I know this is one of those, this was good, Barry, wasn't it? But Demary Gray's finish, is, it's just, that goal is sensational from Gray. Yeah, um, absolutely top drawer. And the fact that he, he sort of slipped before getting back to his feet and, and just planting it into the top bin was uh, remarkable. And he was a constant thorn in, in Manchester City's side. He played very well, but what a goal. Yeah, marvellous. Uh, Newcastle nil leads nil to finish part one. Nate, I'm not a huge amount to say about this game, apart from it was incredibly wet. I mean, it just looked <laughs> so it looked so wet. And I just thought, oh, yeah. I would just walk off. I'd be just, I'm yeah. not having this. Yeah, it was an extra soggy weekend in the Premier League. It yeah. looked like extra soggy. It just, it was, it was tough. You know, Newcastle were going for it. Leeds obviously felt like they probably had a few opportunities, but you were thinking, is this going to be Newcastle's day? Is it not? And it felt strange for them to actually beat St James's Park and not get, not get the win. But yeah, it just did look extra wet. And you know, as a retired player who can still probably play football, I sometimes just look at games where the conditions are terrible. I'm like, I made the right decision here. I really, really <laughs> made the right decision. For all the joy that you could have in playing on a Saturday, sometimes when the game's not going well and you're not winning, it pays to just be dry and indoors. You know, that that, that does go a long, long way. I've said this before, um, and I don't know if it's the same for professional footballers, Nathan, but I don't mind if it starts raining during the game. But if it's raining, when I have to go out for the warm-up. I don't want to play. Really? Is that your thought process? Yeah, because if you're running around, it gets you think, oh, it's fine. It's all part of the process. But it's a... <sighs> I think I think I think it's when the rain starts affecting the game and the game just becomes like crap. Like yeah. if it's just a crap wet game, yeah. Like you're hoping that there's going to be some joy because your team scores, but then after that, it's I like suppose, well, the game's yeah. I suppose at your level, it, it was less often that you're like you'd taken your bag out by the sideline, yeah. And so you're worried about your jumper getting coped. Yeah, wet. you know, I'm part of the, I'm part of the three shirts per game brigade. Right. You know what I mean? Fair so enough. just in case it got a bit too soggy, I'll just whip out the next one. You know, the worst things have happened. One of my one of my favourite images from football is going back a long time. I think it was when um, Rude Hullett got sacked by Newcastle. They he dropped Alan Shearer for a tyne weird derby. Sunderland beat them at St James's Park, and he got sacked. And there was it was 
a torrential rain that night at St. James's Park, but there's one image where the camera cut to a fan in the crowd, a Newcastle fan. He just took off his shirt, wrung it out, <laughs> and then put it back on again. <laughs> oh, I really liked um, when... Uh... When Southampton lost 9-0 at home to Leicester on that Friday night, and it was horizontal rain. And then I can't remember who the pundits were criticising the fans for leaving early. I think, come on, they're 8-0 down. It's that cold. I mean, it's that it's horizontal. It's going, the stand is doing absolutely nothing for them. Anyway, um, unless, Philippe, you have something magical to say about Newcastle nil leads nil, apart from Newcastle drop points and it's a surprise, we can move on to part two. Let's move on to part two, Max. Let's move on to part two. And that begins at Anfield. Finding your perfect home was hard, but thanks to Burrow, furnishing it has never been easier. Burrow's easy-to-assemble modular sofas and sectionals are made from premium, durable materials, including stain and scratch-resistant fabrics. So they're not just comfortable and stylish, they're built to last. Plus, every single Burrow order ships free right to your door. Right now, get 15% off your first order at burrow.com ACAST. That's 15% off at burrow.com ACAST. Hi, I'm Kara Berry, host of Everyone's Business But Mine, and I am an all-inclusive addict. Enter Club Med, the best all-inclusive for you and your family. With resorts worldwide from their family flagship resort, Club Med Punta Cana, to their only mountain resort in Canada, Club Med Quebec, they have everything you need to relax with their 20-plus sports activities, wellness programs. You can dine on delicious cuisine and make memories with your family. So book your next getaway with Club Med. Visit clubmed.us or call 1-800-CLUB-MED or your travel advisor. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Liverpool 2, Leicester 1. Valt Fass, Barry. Just absolutely mind-blowingly sensational <laughs> seven minutes for the lad. Yeah, um... And and Liverpool should be very grateful for his uh, astonishing incompetence, um, because uh, without him they'd, they'd have been in trouble. Uh, he was arguably their man of the match, or no question, he was their man of the match. But two stunning own goals. I, I think my favourite was the first one, where the 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 cross comes in from Trent Alexander Arnold. Danny Ward in the Leicester goal quite clearly shouts for the ball. <laughs> There's, 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 there's no danger whatsoever. <laughs> and Vaukfass, who has been excellent for Leicester since his arrival, um, for reasons best known to himself, decides to ignore him, stretches for this ball he can't quite reach properly, and then sends it looping over <laughs> his own head, his goalkeeper's head, and on, just under the crossbar. It was a, I mean, if he tried to do that a hundred times, there is no chance he would be able to pull it off. Yeah, and it took Nadim about twenty-five minutes from it leaving his foot. So you could see all the you could see all the Leicester players just watching that going. There is absolutely no way that that can't be. We're winning at Anfield. We're not having a great run. That can't be going in. No, it's, it's it was bizarre. And interestingly, I think something similar happened today with the Willy Bolly assist for yeah. uh, Sterling. Yeah. As soon as it goes up in the air, you just notice everybody freezes because like, what what's this? Just it's just up. Uh, Oh, we're in play. Something's happened. Yeah, it was. Um, it's not ideal. He had a he had a bit of a <laughs> sticky little spell there. That it's not ideal. It's not um, ideal. The one, I, I'm trying to think from a defensive standpoint, which one is worse? And the technique on the first one is like, it's historically bad. Like historically bad because he's rushed into it as if something was really bad happening behind him. When Ward looks like he's probably giving him a call. And then the second one, where maybe we'll say the Wi-Fi went down and his controller stopped working or something, you know, maybe it was just a slight glitch in his uh, in his body. But to be able to get two, and as well as a player sometimes, to know that, like, it's a TV game, so you know the cameras are on you. You can't have a look at a big screen because you know your face is right there. A truly horrible, horrible situation to be in. And at that point, like, how do you make things better? You scored two on goals. You scoring a goal now isn't even a big deal because you've scored two. You're now a historical like figure within the world of like Premier League football, like awful. And it's at Anfield because everybody was watching. Brilliant. And and because it's quite early in the game, I mean, I presume your main 
objective is do not score a third one. You do not want. <laughs> <laughs> so imagine, yeah, someone puts a great ball into the box. I was like, I'm out now. When the second one is happening, because you're watching and you're thinking, well, that's definitely about fast because he's the only Leicester player with that sort of hair. And he's really hurtling back towards that. But, I mean, he's very unlikely to... He's he knows he scored an own goal. I mean, I know these things are happening quick, really quite quickly, and you don't have a lot of time to think. And when mm. it goes in, you're sort of thinking he can't have done that. That can't be the same guy that just did that. I mean, this is, <laughs> this is absolutely ridiculous. A, a, qu- a question for you, Max. Yeah? yeah. So if you scored two own goals, what would you say? What would you do? Would you do the clap like, "Come on, boys, let's let's go oh. again," or would you just be like, just swearing at yourself, or would you just say nothing and just stand there? <laughs> And just let the cameras just, just soak in the moment. What would you do? Uh, I mean, I I did score an own goal in my first ever game of Cubs football, but it was a bit early, you know, and, and you know, social media didn't exist, fortunately, in the early eighties. <laughs> I don't know what he did. I actually thought I actually thought he had quite a good game before and after. I actually thought he he was quite composed for that second half. But I don't know. Mm. I did, someone did tweet, you know, Brendan Rodgers can't give him the hairdryer because that would take ages. I knew we'd be riffing on Wout's pain in this podcast. So I, I went and did some research to see if uh, our our guest Nedum had uh, scored any comedy own goals in his career. I couldn't find any. Did you ever? Well, not. Uh, I think I scored a couple. And I remember when the first one went in, I, I honestly felt like crying. <laughs> I'd, I'd probably gone about eight years without even the threat of it. Then all of a sudden, someone just had a shot and it deflected in off me. And like, it's go- I think it's going to go down as an own goal. But like, what what do you want me to do? Do you know one of those ones? Mm. And I was so hurt because I think it was the winning goal as well. And that's when you just want the ground to eat you up. And lo and behold, it was away from home. So when you look to the big screen, there's your big face. And there's everybody laughing and celebrating. Tens of thousands of people saying, yeah, this is all because of you, my friend. It's all because of you. In the long term, it, it will help that fast. You know, so the after dinner circuit, those kind of things, it's like 20, 30 years. This is going to be a net positive for him. I mean, and, I mean, and that also meant, Philippe, we didn't talk about sort of Darwin Nunes again, having loads of chances, missing them. I sort of feel like he's inherited Timo Werner's buckets. The goals must come for him, right? He's such a handful. He's such a good player. He's so quick. Yes, and and, he, and again, you had uh, you could you could argue he was one of their better, if not best, players um, in that particular game, but. He is a. How can I put it? Um, he does lack a little bit of composure. I think is the euphemism uh, of of the pod, um, and I think Klopp is trying very hard to get the pressure off him, but I think the pressure is showing a little bit in the fact that he hurries a little bit. He strikes the ball too hard. I mean, he's, he he loves striking the ball really hard and going through it, but. You can see he's trying almost to overcompensate. And he's also been desperately unlucky. Because, uh, to be honest, some of his finishing, he was a few millimetres from a very fine finish as well. Max, about fast. Forget that. <laughs> it's pretty sad they hit the post. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I would be more worried about the fact that it's not quite happening on the, on the front line for, for Liverpool as a unit than about the fact that Darwin Nunes is not scoring as many goals as people think he should be doing. They don't look as threatening, um, uh, which you know is totally excusable. Firmino is not there. Jogo Jota is still injured. Luis Diaz is still injured. It's a little bit like uh, trying to, uh, well, to 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 put your hand when there's water coming in the boat, and um, and it's not it's not quite working. It's not quite working. So I hold my hands up and say I didn't listen to the podcast after the last round of games where Nunes was given man of the yes, where Nunes was given man of the match for the game where he missed those chances. I forget who he was against. But did you discuss that at all? The concept of man of the match for missing chances as a striker? No, but we talked we said it was strange that he was kind of the headline of that game, despite the fact he didn't score any goals. Yeah. And sorry, and how did it how did it finish? Were we comfortable with that going forward? I can't remember what happened in the last pod, Nadine. I don't know who was on it. So as long as you get chances, it means you're playing well. Is this what we're gonna do? Well I think that's important. I mean that is a that is I mean it's a great cliche, isn't it? If he wasn't getting the chance it'd be worse. Okay. But you should score well, the chance. Oh, I, <laughs> I was just going to say, because I spent 16 years then, I must have been man of the match many a time because I missed lots and lots of chances. I just didn't realise it meant that I was playing well. But how about that? Well, yes. 
No, I think it's, I, I don't know. I think what you see is kind of, I, but I said this about Timo Werner. I was convinced, I'm still convinced he'll score buckets for Chelsea and he's not there anymore. <laughs> and I, so I like, so I've just moved that certainty to Darwin Nunes. I, like, he's really fun to watch, which is kind of, that's, that's what my heart wants with Liverpool. I don't mind if they win or don't, but I, I like it that he's entertaining. Let's go to Molyneux. Um, Man United won 1-0 and uh, the story was Marcus Rashford. Josh says, has Barry ever overslept for the pod? Leading to producer Joel telling him he has to sit in the Zoom call and not talk for 45 minutes. But then he comes on at the end and provides a very good point that Max has forgotten about. But Marcus Rashford was dropped for being late for a meeting, which... It's sort of like one of these crimes in football, Nadam. And obviously, you've been on the inside. Mm. It's just sort of like completely unforgivable. Whereas in real life, you just say, oh, sorry about that. And, well, I don't know. I just I overslept. <laughs> and everyone goes, that's all right, Jeff, carry on. Yeah. Um, I think with the lateness as well, it's the lateness in relation to the meeting probably on game day. I think that's the thing where everything becomes more heightened. You know, being late for the bus, being late for a meeting, being late for all those sorts of things because they almost have to punish you straight away because you say like your job is serious, but on a match that everything's, you know, it's more heightened. And I had a feeling that it was, some, it was something like that because of the fact that he was still on the bench. So maybe think it had to be recent. And it's cute that, you know, he needs to be able to sleep and stuff like that. But football is one of those weird sort of sports where, firstly, you know, the difference I think between this and normal life is the fact it's a team thing. So everyone's always looking, expected to do the exact same thing. But then also, it's, also, it's a really weird sport there were times when I was doing a preseason, you had to make your way to, onto the field and we're supposed to start at 10. And it got to a point where if you weren't there at 10 to 10, you were late because everyone else was there. So even when you're not late, you can still be late. So then add in an actual hard deadline and you being late, ooh, that's so controversial. You know, you're lucky to still have a place at this football club. You know what I mean? But in the end, he played, didn't he? He scored, accepted it. And then I'm sure he's just going to be awake for the rest of his life to make sure he never misses a meeting again. Seems wise. <laughs> I mean, Aidan was the first on the Zoom today. I mean, there is not a fine system in place on, on the pod. But like, what happens at these meetings? Like, I mean, what happens at a meeting that is so vital that it that it actually happens? I mean, I don't want to steal your thunder, Barry, but you don't care much for meetings, do you, Barry? Well, I was going to ask Nedim if, if football team meetings are as completely pointless as, well, most meetings in any other workplace, because I'm not sure I've ever attended a productive one. It It depends. Do you know, it depends. I'm guessing the one for the day which he got in the most trouble for was the one which was going to announce the team. So when you turn up late to the meeting which says that you're in the team, I think that's probably going to be somewhat of a problem because the manager would see sit everyone around and he would believe the most important meeting is the one which you have just before you leave for the stadium. Say what the team's going to be, what the subs are going to be, reminder of the tactics, showing set pieces. So if you look around and somebody that's supposed to be there because they're playing isn't there, then you almost take it personally like they don't care about that moment itself. Whereas, you know, most of the meetings, they do serve a purpose, but I think most people would agree that that is the most important one because it's kind of the final one before the great performance that we all put on for 90 minutes every week, which you all love, in, love watching, I'd say. But, but, but why doesn't one of his mates get... I mean, this is why footballers need to room together, you know, like they used to, you know, because probably one of your mates gets you. I've just got this image, like, is he running in his in his pyjamas? Are all the players, like, one minute early? Or is everyone no. there everyone, half an hour? No, like, some people get there really, really early. Like, it is, like I said before, it's really awkward when you arrive, like, three, four minutes early to a meeting and everyone's just looking at you like, why are you just here now? Should have been here 10 minutes before. And it depends. Some managers are really, really hard with it. Whereas others, they say, just make sure that you're down. But for Marcus, do you know, sharing sharing a room as a player, it can be fun. But if you're with the wrong person, it's like, it's somewhat of a nightmare. So he's big Marcus Rashford, World Cup scorer, room to yourself. Just remember to set your alarm next time so that we can all uh, just enjoy you for 90 minutes instead of 45. Meanwhile, Philippe, I mean, actually on the pitch, he does look, he looks like he's been doing some, uh, you know, lifting some weights, Marcus. He looks big Bulking strong, up, doesn't he? Bulking up, yes. Yeah. Uh, I, Why is that I, so I, funny? I, <laughs> I just, I, I've never really noticed that before. I've not seen the timeline of him just bulking up. Has he been benching yeah. a bit more this week or what? I, looks I don't like get he's it. been on the creosote or whatever you call it. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> that, that The goal he scores, honestly, is not the kind of goal that you normally associate with no. Marcus Rashford. Marcus Rashford, you would associate with uh, with speed, uh Dribbling ability, very good technique in the shot. Here, it's he's they're bouncing off him, which is very unusual. There's a a little bit of the wrecking ball in that. It's not quite her Erling Haaland desk, uh, but it certainly looks like the upper body for me. It looks a bit wider, a bit fuller. It's true. I'm looking. I'm looking for a sort of, you know, three month fitness plan. Maybe I'll 
you know, get in touch with Marcus Rashford. And yeah. see if I can Oi, it, ties, the... it ties him out a little bit. That's why he's late for meetings. So I wouldn't dive into true. that one too much. I'm sorry I'm late. I'm too muscular. <laughs> I think that would work really well for me. Um, uh, Harry Maguire didn't start, Barry, and Luke Shaw played at centre-back and actually played really, really well. So you sort of think, what, what, is, what does Harry Maguire do now? Yeah, it's an interesting one. I mean, it must be quite insulting and and a, quite a dent to the, to your ego. Um, if someone is put it, played out of position, in your position, you're the club captain, the manager clearly doesn't particularly rate you. He had a pretty decent World Cup, although playing for Manchester United and playing for England are two completely different propositions. Does he stay and fight his corner? Does he agitate for a move? I don't know. Um because I suspect Eric Ten Hag is there for the long haul. So uh, he he, it seems he doesn't rate Maguire particularly. So, yeah, a move might be a good idea for him. Uh, let's go to the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Spurs nil, Villa 2. Michael said, did Spurs leave it too late to go 2-0 down to start their comeback? <laughs> I mean, a completely deserved win for Villa, Philippe. Uh, Unai Emery's start's been great. Three wins out of four. They were so disciplined. They were the more... They, they were the... They were, I wouldn't say they were dominant, but they created all the big chances and Spurs were absolutely useless. Yeah, I mean, that, that all true. Uh, can you be dominant when not having the ball? I suppose that's an example of, yes, you can be dominant because you're actually yeah, control, you're controlling the game. And it, what I find really strange is that Conte reacted very, very, very late in that game as well. Because you could see how Emery had, had done his team, which is actually really quite clever, he wanted to counter the wing-back, so what did he say? He told uh, two of his midfielders, uh, Buendia and, uh, sorry, I've got another brain absence, John McGinn um, was also tracking back. So you had Buendia and, and McGinn were tracking back to almost form a, like a, a line, and therefore there was absolutely no way for, for Perisic, for example, to, to go through. And you think, okay, well, Conte is going to counter that. He's going to find a way to counter that. And he didn't. And then as the minutes went past, they looked more and more assured. And also they looked dangerous and sharp every time they had the ball. I mean, I know there's an element of luck and people will say Hugo Lloris shouldn't have, should have kept that shot down. Yes. But you could see where the game was going because they were growing in confidence and they finished. They were, I think, absolutely superb. And there were some, some individual performances, uh, which, I mean, were of the highest standard. Uh, I think everybody will talk about Douglas Lewis because his goal was a thing of beauty. Um, yep. Watkins was excellent but I thought Camara as well that's the Camara I was, I was really hoping good. to see for Villa um, and, and that they had they had signed and um, I'm just wondering you know the change of managers it's, it's amazing that suddenly a player some players who were not quite doing it are really doing it and doing it very well indeed yeah big change big change for, for Villa under Emery compared to, to, to Gerard. I mean, look, it'd be nice if Hugo Lloris had done it in the World Cup quarterfinal, frankly. And I just, all Spurs fans knew it was going to happen as soon as the World Cup had finished. But Nadem, like Kane and Son look completely off it. I mean, Son has only scored in one Premier League game this season, I think. I can't think of someone who's dropped more sort of from season to season th than him. Yeah, I think Son this season has been particularly poor. Um, I think that one game was, I think it was a hat-trick possibly against Leicester when he came off the bench as well, mm. which is the only game which I believe he hasn't started in the league. And it's strange to see him playing the way, or struggling as much as he is, especially after being the golden boot winner last year. But unfortunately, like, this is this is the way football can be sometimes. If you don't start well, it's hard to sort of just find something out of nowhere. And he's, he's struggling. But then in the same breath, Kane's second top scorer in the Premier League with 13 or 14 goals. So he's still getting his bit. But Spurs today is... It's weird when you hear that stat about the amount of times they've conceded first and conceding two goals and need to do a comeback. I think, well, it's clearly not going to happen again. Not at home now that they've got some players and so on. But then lo and behold, they did it again. But credits to Aston Villa. I thought they played really, really well. I suppose we're missing sort of Kulisevsky, who's really important to them, and Benson Core. But I just wonder, I wonder if, I don't know, have Spurs made Conte rubbish? <laughs> that's what no, that's no, 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 no. I don't. Conte is obviously very interesting anyway. And um, I was interested to see what the panel will be saying because he's um, he's had an interesting interview after that game, game where he's saying last year was a miracle and talking about essentially how the, the squad's not good enough and how they struggle. Oh, this, no, that, not the again. Yeah, he's, 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 oh, God. He's, he's let the dogs out. And it sort of makes me wonder, like, if you were a Spurs fan, what... Like you just say, okay, that's fine. He's right, and we'll just we'll just suffer together. Or do you think maybe you shouldn't be saying that? Should you be saying things that are a bit more positive? 
because you want your team to do better. Barry, what did you make of the game? Well, I thought Tottenham thoroughly deserves to lose. I was very impressed with Aston Villa and I expected Antonio Conte to come out after the game and reel off his, you know, poor mouth and, and um, his litany of excuses and he sort of duly did that. But they're awful to watch and that's fine as long as you're getting results. But once you stop getting the results and you start getting beaten at home by Aston Villa and the crowd boo you off... That's just—it's just not good enough, and I think the the buck stops with Antonio Conte. Um, he's had money to spend. He's got good players now. You know, Kudelski, Benzema, Richarlison—they're all big losses. But uh, no, that that just wasn't good enough today. And and they shouldn't be losing at home to Aston Villa or getting completely outplayed at home by Aston Villa. That'll do for part two. Actually, before we end part two um, and before we go on to the rest of the Premier League games, Philippe, you wanted to talk about Frank McGarvey, who sadly passed away. Yes, Max. I mean, um, some very sad news which were uh, given by by Frank McGarvey's son uh, today. Uh, He died. I mean, we knew he was uh, very ill with cancer and he died just age 66. I think for many Celtic fans, I mean, that will be a very tough news uh, to take. He scored a century of goals for Celtic. Uh, he won the cup twice with them. He won the league twice. He also won the cup with uh, with Saint Mirren. He was a Scottish international, and um, a name that meant an, an awful lot to uh, an awful lot of of Celtic and Scottish football supporters. So, uh, rest in peace, Frank McGarvey. Uh, beautifully said, Philippe. And that'll do for part two. We'll be back in a second. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier, and I'm Kate Spencer, and we are the hosts of Forever Thirty Five. And today. We're talking about Club Med, the best all-inclusive getaway for families. Today, Club Med has nearly 70 resorts worldwide, from beachside resorts in the Caribbean and Mexico, to magical locations in the Maldives and Morocco, to ski resorts in the mountains from Canada to the Alps. Between their all-inclusive family programming, wellness offerings, land and water sports, and their French heritage-inspired food and drink offerings, Club Med is the best way to elevate your family getaway, no matter which location you're at. To learn more, visit clubmed.us. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, Luke says, a uh, Forest fan, will we get a mention for not being absolutely dog shit on the next pod? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yes, you will. Forest won, Chelsea won. And I thought, Barry, in the second half, Forrest were absolutely brilliant in this game. They were. Um, and to be honest, they were up against surprisingly feeble opposition. Uh, I, It's obviously a brilliant point for them. I think they're unbeaten in five now at home. But uh, maybe tomorrow morning, uh, Forrest fans will think, oh, we should have got the three points there. I, th- I thought they were a little bit unlucky. Um, but it was a hugely impressive performance. They seem to be going in the right uh, metaphorical direction. They're certainly going in the right direction in terms of inching their way up the table. They've gone to bottom to second from bottom to third from bottom in the space for a few days. So that's that's all very good progress. Um, but yeah, I, I was surprised by the performance, uh, but only by how good it was because I wasn't sure they had it in them. And if I was a Chelsea fan... I'd be quite alarmed at where the the Potter project is going, even though it's only in its infancy. I, I think when it comes to, to Potter, I don't think you can talk about the project at the moment, and for, for, for a number of reasons, actually. First of all, uh, there would have to be a kind of Chelsea project, and I have to say that I failed to see what the Chelsea project is and has been since uh, um, you know, Clear Lake and Todd Bully moved in what happened with Thomas Tuchel, the fact that they had no sports director for a while, dispensed with almost all of the hierarchy without replacing them, and then the manager inherits that. And then just have a look at the list of 
of the players whom he cannot count on at the moment. And I had to, to, to write it down because I thought that's not possible. There are so many. But Fofana, Ben Chilwell, uh, Rhys James, Breuer, Robin Loftus-Chick, who is a player who can have a real impact. And Golo Kante, let's we forget, who was the best defensive midfielder in the world for a few seasons. Then you had Kovacic and, and Ziyech, who were not quite fit enough to, um, you know, after the World Cup to be there from minute one. Then there's the prime of Aubameyang, who I don't think is the kind of player that, that Potter would have acquired for himself. And I, I think he's got a, a pretty difficult situation to deal with, to be absolutely honest. Um, with all with all these injuries, and I I don't think we're seeing potable uh, at the moment. I, I think we're seeing uh, some uh, flashes from a few individual players, but hardly anything which makes sense. Uh, like his Brighton uh, team made sense tactically in in, in terms of the, the football they played, and it's not happened. And and so I. It's a little bit early to put the blame at the at the door of of, of Potter, I think. But but I'm, I would be worried uh, if I were a Chelsea fan more about the way that the whole club is going. Because to be honest, really doesn't make sense to me. Really doesn't make sense. Yeah, and yet and yet, you know, the first half they were sort of vaguely in control, and Forrest hadn't really done much, Nathan. But 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 well, I thought that. I mean, I, I don't know, but I I, I I thought Chelsea would go on and win it. And and actually, it's interesting we're talking about Spurs and that complete lack of intensity. And I know it's more complex than that, but just Forrest just seemed to up the pace, and and that seemed to make the difference. You know, you say you thought that Chelsea would go on and win it, but that is that more to do with the fact you thought Forrest would go on and lose it as opposed to Chelsea go and show you something differently? Yeah, yeah, possibly. I didn't think I'd see a change in Forrest at half time like I'd saw. And especially because, you know, we, we're being, we're being drip fed data to make us see things as well. Cause it said after they conceded, that's the seventh time conceded in the league this season. They've lost all seven, not scored a goal. So it's like, well, of course that means that this game's over. That's how I was feeling about that match. But in fairness to them, I think they had a couple of opportunities in the first half. And then the second half, I think it was a great performance. And again, it was that thing I was saying before about say people who can take the ball forward and run at people. I thought one year did very well. I thought Brendan Johnson was doing well with that. Midfielders were running up as well. And it sort of make you uncomfortable because you can go from being in a position where you have good possession to all of a sudden a turnover and like 20, 30,000 people screaming to give this illusion of being under tremendous pressure. And they certainly did do that in this game. And, you know, Chelsea having possession, they might think they're controlling the game, but that second half, they had one shot. That was it. And it was one shot off target. And for a team that had a lead, that's not good enough, especially for a side that is essentially in the bottom three. But and as the tweet read out before, you know, we do need to give them for his dimension because that looks very positive. I think if they can have that sort of momentum when they're playing at home, then whoever they're playing against will be in for a tough game. I wouldn't necessarily guarantee that they're going to win all of them or say be able to get get points or results, but it'll be tougher than say it has been in that in that first sort of like third of the season. Because it was a it was a good watch in the end, and it was a surprisingly good watch. Because as I said, from that stat going up, I thought it was all said and done once that first goal went in. I should have just done the TV off and gone home. But yeah, apparently it's not the case. And presumably, you were already at home. Made him, I would have no, no, no. I was uh, I was at my father in law's having ah. a Sunday dinner actually, Max. Oh, right. So you can relax okay. yourself, my friend. How was the dinner? Was it nice? Yeah, it was good. It was good. Can I just, can I, oh, wow. I'll, I'll save this to the, to the last bit. I'll tell you something I've just seen, yeah. Let's tease ahead to the pod will finish with some Nadem goals. This is very exciting. <laughs> don't, yeah, of course, don't yeah. touch that dial. That's not a thing. Is it, um, um, uh, look, Arise Sergio all listeners will be delighted for Sergio to get the goal. And that Morgan Gibbs white strike, that was, it was absolutely beautiful, uh, wasn't it? It was very upsetting that that didn't go down and then bounce back off the bar and hit the top of the net. Um, I very much enjoyed when uh, Zachariah and Yates had a sort of coming together. Yates got a yellow card and then Zachariah sort of got his fists like, is it like the lion in in, in The Wizard of Oz? He was like, put him up, put him up, put him up, pew, put him up. That was great. Uh, let's go to West Ham, Brentford, West Ham, Neil Brentford too. Uh, what do you think? I mean, David Moyes has got to be under a bit of pressure, Philippe, hasn't he? He's got the he's got the vote of confidence. Oh, as he had the dreaded vote of confidence, then he officially. Has. And Lars, now our friend Lars Sivison has said, "Listen, you've got to remember that he punched above his weight for a long time. He deserves some credit, sort of some a grace period." But I'm not sure that necessarily is how it works. No, not necessarily. Especially you, you look at the squad because uh, I was talking about the absentees from the Chelsea uh, squad, for example. This is not something. I mean, they have been affected by injuries, but not to the same extent. And you look at the players that he had at his disposal. 
you think, well, this team shouldn't be in the position, the situation it is now. But it, they looked tired, but they looked tired almost psychologically, mentally. You, you didn't really feel um, the kind of uh, steeliness that you normally associate with David Moy's team. The kind of intensity as well wasn't there. Um, yes, and you, you do feel that it's, it's a machine that is uh, working, that is not working properly, um, freewheeling, basically, and which is one thing you really cannot do. Um, so I can understand what Lars is saying, and loads of people are saying it, especially because of all the great work he's done for that club before, but it's completely natural that you would be uh, under this kind of pressure at the moment. I think he's kind of in a similar situation to Conte at Spurs, in, as far as his approach is very pragmatic, that's fine as long as you're not getting beaten all the time, uh, and West Ham at the moment are getting beaten all the time. And he, he sets up to not lose. His in-game management is quite poor, I think, in when it comes to substitutions. He often makes them too late. And Skamaka was a, a summer signing I was very excited about. But he he watching him isolated up front, it reminds me of when Joe Ellington was a rubbish striker under Steve Bruce for Newcastle. You know, and he was much derided, but a lot of the time it wasn't his fault because he was there was a forty yard gap between him and his nearest teammate. So I don't really care who manages West Ham, but it it isn't looking good for Moyes at the moment. And and what the Leeds Wolves Everton are the next three games. So one imagines if he doesn't pick up well, at least five points from or four or five points there that that. Uh, he might be for the high jump. Oh, yeah. Well, look, credit to Brentford, uh, who are, you know, again, having an excellent season, aren't they? In 10th. In um, I wouldn't say they're safe yet, but look, they're only two points off the conference, Europa Conference League. So you never know. That position is held by Fulham, uh, who are still good. Uh, we've established this. <laughs> we don't need to keep being surprised that Fulham are good. And poor Nathan Jones, Nadim. Like, Southampton have such a job on their hands, don't they? Yeah, they, they sure do. And that's fallen, by the way, Kings of West London. Who would have thought? Who would have thought? Um, but yeah, Nathan Jones, it's a, it's a tough job, but nobody forced him to go. He definitely had the belief that he could make a difference there. But I think he's in an, he's in a, he's in an interesting spot because the two youngest squads, our two youngest starting 11s in the Premier League are the team who are top in Arsenal and Southampton who are bottom. You can see from one side, they find all the benefits of youth at the top. And the other side, they find all the naivety of it all, you know, the other side of the coin. And he'll believe he can get them out of the situation, but it just feels to me that if they don't start getting some results soon, then maybe some of the belief will will diminish because for as good as he probably is as a manager, he doesn't have the track record at the top level for people to fully believe that you should give him time. It's a, it's not a million miles away, in my opinion, of, say, Potter being at Chelsea for as good as he is. That's great. But when nobody's seen him at the very top for long periods before, he probably doesn't... Things just look worse if it's not going well. But I'll be interested to see how they do. I think in the last game, I think they felt probably probably feel a bit unlucky to have come away with nothing. But when you're down there, this is this is the nature of football. It's not necessarily always about performance. It's just about just getting results, finding a way to win. And in this moment, Fulham definitely have that. But Southampton, unfortunately for them, do not. I have a, it's not a, a theory. I'm just wondering if this would actually make sense. Um, Southampton got rid of Ralph Hasenhutel, who is a manager that I rate and many people rate extremely highly, to replace him with somebody who has no experience of that level of football. Uh, they know they've, been made, they've made mistakes in terms of recruitment or absence of recruitment. They decided to go for youth and the rest of it. We all know that. We've talked about it. And I'm actually starting to think, are they actually already thinking of the future as in next season? So I'm trying to think, could it be that they think, well, we're going to give him a chance, right? We believe he can do it. And if he doesn't do it, it's not the end of the world because he, he, we know he's got the quality to operate at this slight, at this lower level of football and we give him you know, the means to, 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 to show what he's capable of. I, I, I don't know. It's something that went through my mind because I still don't quite understand why they got rid of Rafael and Hootel, I have to say. Yeah, I mean, I would say if they were like 10 points adrift, but like it's so tight at the bottom of the Premier League that you know you get you get a couple of wins and then you're out of the bottom three, aren't you? They don't look like they're going to get those wins, do they, Max? At the moment, 
Well, not necessarily. I mean, I thought they were slightly unlucky. You know, Palini's goal was pretty late on, wasn't it? Um, James Ward-Prowse, a nice finish for his own goal, scored another brilliant free kick. Christian says, uh, is he on the plane? If so, where's he going? (laughs) Thank you, Christian. Um, Crystal Palace won 2-0 at Bournemouth. Um, uh, Bournemouth conceding two goals from set pieces. Not a great day, Barry, for Bill Foley to stick on a Bournemouth tracksuit and watch his charges. Yeah, uh, really horrible day on the south coast. Uh, torrential rain like up in Newcastle. Um, him and Michael B. Jordan were there and Mrs. Foley, who looked like she was having quite a nice time, all things considered. Um, but he must have spent a while wondering, what the hell have I done here? You know, I'm an old man. I've got billions of pounds. Do I really need this aggravation? Uh, because Bournemouth were taken to school, really, I think, in this game and were probably very lucky to only lose 2-0. And the goals they conceded were absolutely criminal. I think that's their 10th and 11th goals to concede. 11th and 12th. 11th and 12th, is it right? And and uh, Patrick Vieira said after the game that it was his, his Dean Kiley, his goalkeeping coach, who came up with the the corner routines and had had been studying the opposition, so... You know, fair dues to him. Cristiano Ronaldo signed for Al Nasser, even though he told Piers Morgan he wouldn't. I'm sorry for mentioning that name on this podcast. Which one? Uh, Al Nasser, two points. <laughs> That's a good point. Two points behind Al Shabab. Uh, so work to do for Cristiano. Um, he will reportedly receive the biggest footballing salary in history at more than £177 million a year. Um, Philippe, what do you make of this move? Um, apart from the obvious, but we don't need to spend too much time on that as to what we think of uh, uh, the moral side of the equation. Um, I think it's it's a very interesting one in terms of uh, what's happening in the Gulf, in terms of one-upmanship in the Gulf when it comes to the use of sport. And um, it's very clear, though, it's part of um, Saudi Arabia's uh, Vision 2030 uh, reform plan. I don't think Ronaldo will be pressing well in 2030, Philippe, to be honest. No, but he will be an ambassador for the uh, Saudi, um, Egypt, Greece bid for the World Cup in 2030, uh, which is um, obviously going to be um, a very big asset for them. And um, it's it's part of, yes, as I said, one of manship. You know, the Qataris have organised the World Cup. Um, obviously, Abu Dhabi is present with, uh, with Manchester City, uh, at least... Uh, the ruling family of Abu Dhabi is present to that and doing very well, obviously. So for them, it makes complete sense. Uh, it's all part of a long-term strategy, which has got this 2030 horizon, and in which uh, Cristiano Ronaldo is obviously a very willing um, ambassador, um, asset, uh, very well paid. But uh, I'm afraid that is what is... You know, they've also got Lionel Messi as ambassador for the tourism in Saudi Arabia, which is quite extraordinary when you think about it, given that Argentina is also going to bid for the 2030 World Cup. This is going to take us to some interesting situations, to say the least. So, again, it's about football, but it's definitely not about football at the same time. Club Bruges tweeted, Welcome Scott Parker. The Ingelsmann wird sonnet angelstelled als unser neuer Hoof de Coach. Um, I like Hoof de Coach. It takes very long ball. It's not really what Scott Parker does. It doesn't hoof it that much. Does it? But, you know, good luck to Scott Parker. I presume he hasn't learnt the uh, the French or the Flemish uh, for my players aren't good enough <laughs> at this level quite yet. He might avoid that in a, a press conference. Um, uh, they're fourth in the Belgian League. Um, he will take charge of uh, the Champions League game against Benfica. Um, uh, Charlie said, I'd love the panel's reaction to Gillingham scoring their seventh goal of the league season. Uh, very well done. Um, fewest league goals ever scored in a season. Um, was 18 by Loughborough in 1899-1900. So, uh, uh, yeah, Jonathan Wilson can talk you through. He's done a podcast on those 18 goals you can (laughs) listen to. And we have had so many emails about this, Barry, about Carrot Top. Oh, crikey. Barry's discussion about Carrot Top illuminates, this is from Ted, illuminates the show's UK-centric cultural bubble. There is an important distinction when discussing 1980s, 1990s American prop comedians. 
Contrary to Barry's explanation, Carrot Top's routine consisted mainly of pulling props out of a trunk on stage and producing witty one-liners, all while sporting very red-orange curly hair. Gallagher, on the other hand, was famous for smashing watermelons, amongst other things, with his sledge-o-matic, covering many in the first few rows with bits of melon. His hair was similarly curly but brown. I hope this clears things up for the Football Weekly team. I love the show. Your coverage of football is always illuminating and a joy to listen to. Thanks, y'all. I did actually go then go on a Gallagher sort of rabbit hole of YouTube. It's got an extraordinary live show where he just, he had a massive sofa, like, like a giant sofa, like bigger than any sofa you'd ever seen. And then he just had a big chest and he just, He'd like get a tube of toothpaste and put it on a plinth and go, shall I hit it with a hammer? And then he hits it with a hammer, covers people in toothpaste, and he just carries on and on and on doing this and yet makes it incredibly entertaining. So can you? would you like to apologise, Barry, for your mistake? I would apologize. like to apologise to, to Carrot Top, um, the late Gallagher. I believe he died last year or quite recently. And um, all fans of... Uh, American prop <laughs> slash fruit related <laughs> comedy. Thank you, Barry. Now, Nathan, we finish with your father-in-law's roast dinner, and I'm very excited about this moment. No, this no, no, sorry, no, 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 yeah. no, no, no. It wasn't. It wasn't about the roast dinner. It was about something I saw over my shoulder. Oh, right. So, it, by any chance, is anybody? I've just seen an image which is like iconic for all the wrong reasons. Is anybody here interested in American football? Anybody at all? Yes. Anyone? Yeah. Barry Foster is he still doing it for the Steelers? Has is, is Joe Montana still? Yeah, Joe Montana's having okay, a good season. Great. There was a point where I saw a quarterback get tackled and the quarterback is laying on the floor nearly dying and the person that tackled him is doing a snow angel on the floor next to him. <laughs> I thought this is a beautiful way to ring in the new year. That's all I wanted to say and uh, I hope you get the chance to see it on social media at some point because it's truly iconic. Nadam, thank you so much for your time. You've uh, entertained someone in a bath, so <laughs> perhaps not for the first time, but we appreciate your time. Thank you. Absolute pleasure, sir. Uh, thank you, Philippe. Thank you, Max. No, thank you, Philippe. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Barry. You're welcome. Football Weekly was produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Danielle Stevens. We'll be back on Wednesday. This is The Guardian.